going on everybody hello again and welcome back to another episode of the welch report with me john luke welch make some noise clap it up get excited wherever you are we are back with another phenomenal episode talking about a multitude of things on this show with the day of reckoning coming in the world of boxing tomorrow on saturday in the afternoon headlined by deontay wilder and anthony aj joshua both fighting not against each other but on the same card how is this how are those fights going to go what do they both need to prove so that when they do fight each other we can have better leeway as to figure out who should be favored as well as much more going on in the nba as well so thank you for tuning in thank you for listening so much on this show we appreciate it i appreciate it we done got the 600 that's right we have made a big leap up in the subscriber count all the way to 600 subscribers in the matter of a week are we getting out there yes indeed we are and all that's thanks to you all support and showing love to the channel thank you so much but without further ado all that niceties aside we got to talk about what's going on in the world of sports we got to talk about boxing first and foremost so when we talk about boxing you know what it's time to do it's time to step into the ring that's right ring the bell let's get it started round one of this show Underway talking about Anthony Joshua versus Otto Wallene in I can't remember if it's the co-main or the main event. Either way, that fight's going down. How is this fight going to go? Actually, before we break down that fight, please leave a like on the video, comment, thoughts, and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know so that we can build up this empire of a community and of a channel to together. Absolutely. We're available on every podcasting platform. Imaginable, you name it, we're on it. And if not, Tell me, and I'll get right on there to put this show up there. But again, Anthony Joshua versus Otto Arlene. How is this fight going to go? Again, we know Otto Arlene is a brother who fought and nearly beat Tyson Fury. Cut him up and nearly got the fight stopped in his fight against, at that point in time, seen as the best heavyweight in the world in Tyson Fury. Now, still seen as one of the best heavyweights in the world, if not the best in Tyson Fury. But he was more set in stone then than it was now going up against that Tyson Fury in terms of Otto Wallin, it's his buddy. Doesn't have much pop to him, but is a man who can box, is elusive, and can make a fight go down and dirty. Now with this fight going up against Anthony Joshua, he's looking to upset one of the biggest stars in boxing and solidify AJ's downfall and never getting into the title picture again. If Otto Wallin does in fact win this match and win this fight, AJ's done. For the foreseeable future, he's done in terms of getting a title shot. There's no way. There's no way. His stock has dropped so much as time has gone on. Now, this is his one opportunity. that, Or rather, if any of these later opportunities that he's being given falls by the wayside or he fails to live up to what he needs to do, which is win and win dominantly, we can kiss his title hopes goodbye. We can kiss his title hopes in the Bon Voyage. They're done. They are out of here. And we think this should be a walk in the park, but it's not going to be that easy. Because what have we been saying about Anthony Joshua all this time on this comeback tour to getting a title? Ever since he won, or ever since he lost his fight to Andy Ruiz, it's been, can you get back to who you are? Can you get back to what you know? Can you, Anthony Joshua, become what we know you can become? And that is a killer, a monster, a Powerful, combination-throwing, aggressive fighter. 
with sound in all fundamentals. I've said this in the past. In terms of fundamentals, Joshua is one of the best fundamentals gang, or has some of the best fundamentals in the game, excuse me, in the heavyweight division. He does. That's just an outright fact. I've called him before one of the most well-rounded fighters, but a, a jack of all trades, but a master of none, uh, except for power. Great boxing ability. He's got good feet. He's got, again, fundamentals in every aspect are there. He's sound in everything. But he doesn't excel. I've said this before. Now, he's gotten to a situation where after that loss to Andrew Weiss, the brother, he's still sound, but now he's not utilizing everything that made him the monster that he was at the heavyweight division. Having a, was a 19 KO streak in his first 19 wins, 18 or 19 wins, becoming a champion and knocking out Klitschko, seeing as the world was at his feet, seeing as the best heavyweight in the world at one point in time. He was. And now, to this, there's been a big drop-off. There's been a lot of concerns. There's been some trouble inside the psyche of Anthony Joshua to get back everything that he used to have in his boxing arsenal. He just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it right now. And this fight right now is going to be a big barometer as to whether or not he does indeed or is indeed back to the Anthony Joshua that we know is a killer that we want to see, that we've been waiting to see for such a long time. Because we talked about this on the show with Robert Elanius when AJ faced off against him. The knockout was phenomenal. The ending was great. But the in-between and what that, the story of that fight up until that knockout was, okay, AJ's got a new trainer, which he's got another new trainer for this fight against Otto Walling. Got a new trainer is somebody who was fighting and we want to see if he can get back to at least a semblance of what he used to be. And in that fight with Robert Hellenius, he was methodical and he did some things better, but at the same time, he let go of some things that was like, hey, what the world? This still isn't the Anthony Joshua. There was improvement and there was some semblance of a gaining in confidence, but it wasn't where it needed to be. He's had a game plan, was trying to land a big straight right, was utilizing some level changing and we saw some tactics being used that was okay. We know he's going to commit to a deliberate game plan that is looking to kill the opponent. However, executing that game plan, he still has a lot of things that are iffy, very iffy, and shouldn't be iffy for this point in time. At this stage in his career, it shouldn't be. To a degree, similar to what we said about Joe Joyce when you're trying to get defense and offense blended together, AJ is caught between two styles of fighting or a multitude of styles of fighting because he's been switching trainers. And he hasn't been able to commit and blend the very thing that he needs to do or the very style that fits him in order to capture the essence of what was in his career. Because he can still reach it. We keep saying we wanted to get back there. It's not because, of, oh, we're just waiting on a bygone era to all of a sudden resurface. No. He is still young, still in the prime of his athletic peak, and he should be, in terms of style-wise, have found himself and, have, and has made a consistent approach in every fight 
to commit to that same style of tactic, at least in some degree. We should be saying, ah, that looks familiar. Ah, yeah, that worked for him, and he's still going to do it. Yes, that is part of AJ's DNA. He's going to do dot, dot, dot. One, two, three. We notice us vintage AJ. Stuff like that we should be now saying about Anthony Joshua, but we're not. But we're not. And it's because he's he's consistently lost himself. In this fight against Ottawa, he needs to show that he hasn't lost himself. And that he's gotten back to a semblance of wholeness, a semblance of completion, a semblance of having everything at your disposal. Finding out who you are in Anthony Joshua. That's what you need to be. And again, Ottawa is a brother who is crafty. Game to fight. Will make a fight go dirty. Will bring the fight to you. Is willing to scrap. But doesn't have a lot of power to him. So if any fight was game for AJ to be able to show that he is truly ready to take on the elite of the elite, get back to a title opportunity, and take on Deontay Wilder specifically. This is the fight to do it. This is the fight to do it. He's got to whitewash Ottawaling. He has to. Tomorrow. He's got to whitewash Ottawaling. If he doesn't whitewash Ottawaling, if he doesn't knock him out and absolutely dominate every aspect, if he looks timid, if he looks somewhat wary, of getting in the thick of the heat of the action. If he looks and seems nowhere close to the outright confident AJ, the killer AJ that we've been seeing in press conferences, in the wings, in this whole new mentality of, I don't care about being the pretty boy, I care about winning, and I care about dominating. If he doesn't operate fully in that same confidence and aura and mindset in the fight tomorrow against Ottawa Lee, Done. He's done. Because what did I say in the last show? Last time we talked about AJ and Wilder. The only fight, the only way that Wilder, that, not Wilder, the only way that AJ, or Wilder for that matter, gets to another title shot again, is if they fight each other. And Robert Elanius was one of AJ's last opportunities to get a point where, okay, he's fully ready. We can confidently say he is ready. He's about that life, and he's fully prepared to take on Deontay Wilder. And he didn't show it, at least for me, in that fight. Now, he's got one more opportunity. Because they have already agreed, per reports, they have already agreed to fight each other after this event. After the Day of Reckoning. After AJ fights Ottawa and Wilder fights Joseph Parker. After that, they have agreed to fight each other. And since they've agreed to fight each other, there's no more tune-ups. There's no more preparation. This is it. AJ, you have to put it all together tonight. Or rather, tomorrow. You've got to put it all together tomorrow night. Or afternoon. You've got to show that you are fully ready, prepped, and in line with yourself. To be able to say, I can look down the barrel of the gun. That wild is going to hold in my face. And I'm not going to flinch. I'm not going to be timid. But I'm going to be ready to knock him out and shoot him instead. That is what we need to see AJ show in complete totality. And this is his last opportunity. If he doesn't get it right, 
in this fight. If he doesn't show that he is better in this fight, if he doesn't prove to himself and prove to us as fans, to prove to Wilder that this Wilder isn't going to, or this AJ, excuse me, isn't going to be a pushover like we're expecting, that he's, and that he's shown throughout his other fights, this AJ is back to, to peak form, at least in some degree, is ready to take on the world? No. Nah. This is it. Where's Michael Jackson? This is it. He's got to show that he's prepared, primed, and fully confident in himself that he has now made a style in his boxing ability that fits exactly what he wants to do. It doesn't look awkward. It doesn't look strange. It doesn't look caught in between. It doesn't have him overthinking it. It doesn't make it seem like that AJ in every capacity, even when he wants to be aggressive, is second-guessing himself. That's what he's been doing. That's what it's looked like he's been doing. He can't second-guess himself. And this is the fight against Otto Wallin to make that happen, to prove that he won't second-guess himself, to commit fully, to walk with confidence, to walk through Otto Wallin with confidence. That's what this fight needs to be. Because if it's not, even if he wins against Otto Wallin, there's no way I can say he can beat Wilder. There's just not. There just isn't at this stage in, the, in his career. Right now, I know he's a better boxer. I know he's a better fundamental fighter than Wilder in every capacity. Except for, again, power and chin and heart. But if you don't show that you can, that you are willing to go to that extent, go to a different place to make it so that you can beat a man that seems against you unbeatable, a man that everybody's saying that can knock out anybody with half the power, not even trying, You've got to show a new dimension to yourself and how deep you're willing to go to get to where you need to get to mentally. By any means necessary. That's where it's got to be against Otto Walling. That's the mentality. Combination punching. Walking Otto Walling down. Making it so that Walling is on the back foot. Punish Walling if Walling tries to make a fight out of him. Batter him. Make him pay. For even daring to think you can compete with me. That's what you have to show. If you want to go up against Deontay Wilder. Because you've been saying that you're scared. Or not, other people have been saying, excuse me. Other people have been saying that you're scared. The public has been saying that you've been running. The public has been saying that you didn't want that fight. The public has been saying that you are fearful of Wilder's power. This fight against Wileen is a statement fight. To put all that to bed. At least to some degree. Because some people are just never going never gonna to think otherwise. But to some degree. Put it to bed. That you are not afraid. You are not scared. You are not timid. And you are more than ready. And inviting. Of the challenge of wild. That's what you have to show. Because you've already. Because apparently. Again per reports. You've already agreed. You, you, this fight is it. So it's got to be a dominant showing by Anthony Joshua. It's got to be an outright 
not masterclass, destruction by AJ. It's got to be an outright demolition job by Anthony Joshua to put any, any concerns of will he actually be ready to put it to rest. Make it so that you beat the heart out of Alawalin, who's got phenomenal heart. Who's got phenomenal tenacity and courage. Who's willing to fight through a bunch of stuff that many other boxers wouldn't want to fight through. Wallin is tough. Wallin can box. Wallin can beat AJ. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to see AJ win. Most likely by knockout. And the best case scenario, AJ walks him down, comes out like, like a barn on fire and tries to get him out early. And if he can't get him out early, he beats him up for the rest of the fight until he gets the fight stopped or knocks him out outright. Like, but this, this has to be a fight that AJ just runs through. It's got to be. Because if it is, that gives us a completely different metric to gauge AJ if he, when he, not if, when he fights against Wilder in their next fight, because they've already agreed. That's, that, that, that's this whole storyline. And then on the side of Wilder, fighting up against Joseph Parker, we've seen Wilder only fight three minutes in the last two years against Robert Hellenius. Knocked him out in the first round. I believe it was, what, three minutes? Or, or maybe two minutes, a little, a little over two minutes. Knocked him out. Got him done. Did him away with. And one of the knockout of the year contenders made, made Hellenius experience rigor mortis. Insane. Scary. Incredibly small sample size. Did what, did, what did he show, however, in that three-round fight? Okay, he can knock you out on the back foot. As in going back. We've seen him set somebody up, stop, and then come forward, catch him, and they're done. I'm talking about still moving backwards, rebounding off the ropes, catching you with a shot that ain't even set up properly, just attacking and opening the instant that is there. Knocked him out cold. In the build-up and in the, what was it, what was it open workouts, some utilizing more lateral movement, some have better footwork. Seemed like he's turned into a better fighter, seemingly. And hasn't taken these two years away from combat for granted, seemingly. However, in the ring, only time will tell. And Joseph Parker's a perfect opponent to show if that indeed is true or not. Joseph Parker's a brother who is, has gone toe-to-toe with, with oh, excuse me, been a champion, fought against the best of the best, went up against Joe George, one of the heaviest hitters and biggest chins in boxing, and was doing good work against him. It was just, he just got overwhelmed by the outright power and coming forward ability of Joe Joyce's ability to tank shots. And inevitably then got him out of there. But he did hold tough. And he's a fighter in terms of Joseph Parker, who is a mover, who can be elusive, who can use his hand speed to really get in, get in the way of Wilder's ability to come forward 
He can make it tough for Wilder to find. Make it tough for Wilder to catch. And he knows what it's like to be in the ring against the best of the best. So that experience factor is something that we're going to have to say, okay, he could take pressure. Not saying he's got more experience than Deontay Wilder. I'm saying he can use his experience because he knows what it's like to be in the ring against other killers to make this fight go in his favor the best way he can. Can he outbox him? Yes. Is he a better boxer than Wilder? Yes. It's nothing new. It's the same story. Every boxer that Wilder's faced in the upper echelon of the heavyweight division, we know is better than him at the sport of boxing from a technical standpoint. We know this. However, hopefully, we see that change when it comes to Wilder getting in the ring this time. Do I want? Do I expect this fight to end early? Absolutely. I expect this fight to end probably in the first three rounds because it's because it's Wilder. Wilder, who in the weigh-in today weighed in at what two thirteen? Which what did I say his peak weight was in the past for his fights? Two fifteen to two twelve. He's right in that sweet spot. Phenomenal. Not bulky, lean, aerodynamic, athletic. And can punch like a whip to devastate his opponents with speed and power, not just power. Make his jab even quicker. Make his straight right even more blinding and even more devastating. This is the weight that makes him the best. And against somebody like Joseph Parker who came in above what he normally comes in at, we can see Joseph Parker and in, in that footwork and movement that we know we can utilize could be diminished and could work against him as the fight goes on later. And then it becomes easier and easier to catch for Wilder until next thing you know, boom. Done away with it now. Like we expect to have. And we know he's tough. We know he's tough. We know he's game. We know he's primed and ready. It's just a matter of whether or not he can survive. And most of us are saying, no, he can't. Understandably so. It's just a matter of how long. And if it's longer than what we expect this fight to go, which is about three to five rounds, it gives us an opportunity to now see if Wilder will be able to put the new tactics and abilities that we have been clamoring for him to actually attain. Will he be able to put them into practice? Will the movement, footwork, better combination punching, better conditioning, and all-around tighter form of punching. Will that all come to fruition and become apparent when he fights against somebody like Joseph Parker? If this fight does indeed not go what we think is going to go, which is one to five rounds, maybe one to three. If it lasts longer, will we be able to see Wilder implement the new types of skills that Malik Scott and his old training camp have been saying he has been working on in game. Is that going to be the case? If it's not, then okay, he's still the same Wilder that's knocked out every other opponent. Still the most dangerous man in the heavyweight division. That's completely fine. Completely understandable. But with that being the case, we still need to see improvement. Because even if that Wilder Shows up against AJ, the Wilder that we've been knowing still. The Wilder that many people feel, even right now, as is, 
can beat Anthony Joshua. And they are going to face off against each other. That Wilder still won't be able to get back to a title. If indeed it's Tyson Fury holding the undisputed title, if that fight does indeed go, Fury's away. We still need to see more in order to say, hey, we is it going to be that Wilder has now jumped the shark, conquered what his limited skill set was, and evolved into a fighter that now everybody he can absolutely be beyond just having one punch power. Yes, we know that can beat anybody, but I'm talking about having the ability to, with his power now, he's got more ways to, to essentially, quoting Telly Atlas, to have a delivery system. To have an ability to make that punch connect in more ways than one. To be able to make the package go to the person who wants to receive it. A smooth delivery system is great. A multifaceted delivery system is even better. Right now, Wilder's got one great delivery system. Blinding jab into the right hand. Has mastered it. Mastered it. Nobody in the division, nobody in the sport, except for maybe <clears throat> Noya anyway, has a better one-two delivery system than Deontay Wilder. Nobody. Not even Terrence Crawford. Not Earl Spence. Not Canelo, not Bevo, nobody has a better one-two combination that is as precise and as deadly as Deontay Wilder. Only comparable that I've seen, Noya anyway. That's it. But beyond that one-two that we've seen him land countless times, everything else is, is, is ho-hum mundane on the side of Wilder. Again, from a technical standpoint. I would love to see him have the ability to make, to essentially add on and show that he is more than just that one combination. He's more than that just right hand. Excuse me, he's more than just that right hand. Because if he shows that, everybody's in trouble. Everybody is, is in danger. Everybody is in a real heap of pain. And is in a world of hurt. If that Wilder comes to play, because that Wilder, the one that I'm hoping that we see against Joseph Parker, the Wilder that I'm hoping that we see evolve and show more dimensions to his game than we've ever seen before, to some capacity. A Wilder that can deliver a left hook, a check hook, consistently. A Wilder that has tighter punches all around. A Wilder that is able to better pace himself. A Wilder that can go to the body. All of that against a tough opponent like Joseph Parker. If we see this fight go longer than three rounds, and we're able to see Wilder implement more and more of those assets of his new style and skill set in that fight. Insane. Scary. Polarizing everybody in the division. That type of Wilder wipes Anthony Joshua. Wilder with a semblance of fundamental skill set. A semblance of better well-rounded game. 
beats arguably everybody in the division, including Tyson Fury they fought against. A Wilder with a better fundamental skill set and understanding beats everybody, including Tyson Fury. Especially now to Tyson Fury that we saw against Francis Ngannou. But it's if we see that type of Wilder, there's no guarantee that we will, but if we do, it's going to be insane to see. Again, both of these fights, I got AJ and Wilder winning. Yes, I do. It's just a matter of how. Because we're not overlooking them in terms of their opponents, Otto Ali and Joseph Parker. But we're looking at what's coming down the pipe because we know what's at stake. After this fight, on the day of reckoning, it's going to be Wilder versus AJ. And since it's Wilder versus AJ, whoever wins that is going to get a first crack at the undisputed title. I can almost guarantee it. First crack at the undisputed title in the heavyweight division. It's going to be the winner of Wilder and AJ. Point blank period. Forget who wins the actual undisputed title. This is for who gets the next shot. That's what we know is coming down the pipe. Which is why the performances of these two are so important. And why we need to see if they have evolved and changed. Anthony Joshua mentally and Wilder physically in his skill set. We see those two things change. Great. We don't see it change on one side or the other. Most likely we can tell what this fight is going to be like. Most likely. That's why this fight is so tantalizing. I can't wait to see it. Oh, tune in on the 23rd in the afternoon. It's going to be a sight to behold. And it's going to be insane to watch. Oh, it's going to be insane to watch. But now moving on to the NBA. Talking about very quickly. Well, not even quickly. Touching on the Memphis Grizzlies and their resurgence of an organization now that John Morant is back. John Morant has returned, John Morant is back, and John Morant has now won this team two games in a row. Took over the first game when he came back, when he led that team to a comeback, and put up 34 and a game winner. Floater over two opposing players. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And then in the next and, and then beat the Pacers. And again, who's, who's one of the hotter teams in the NBA with one of the best point guards in the league, Tyrese Halliburton. And he wasn't even the main catalyst. It was Desmond Bain who scored the most and was the most, more dominant offensive player in that game. John only scored 20. Desmond Bain only scored 20. Desmond Bain scored 24, excuse me. But the overall look of this Memphis Grizzlies team, now that Jaws back, is completely different. Mind you, before this, before that game winner, that Jai won, they were what, 7 and 19? Seven or, 6 or 7 and 19? One of those two, 6 and 19 or 7 and 19. Abysmal. One of the worst teams in the NBA. Showed that they were completely nothing without John Murray. Nothing without John Murray. With John Murray, however, this is a team that is exciting to watch, it's fun, it's fast. And it's multidimensional because of the weight that he brings on the offensive end and his ability to find people, which is great court vision. 
And it breeds two things, or it brings two things to mind about what the facts are with John Morant and this Memphis Grizzlies. One, outright, we now know John Morant is indeed the man that makes the world go round in Memphis. Absolutely. And the second thing is the fact that Memphis is not built to be a title contender. That's the main thing. There's a third thing as well, but I'm going to get on that after this. The second and more important thing, or the second thing and the second most important thing, excuse me, Java Rent on this Memphis squad can take them to, at best, an upset conference finals appearance, but nothing more. Because this team isn't built to win. This team is not built to win. This team is not built to win anything right now. And I've said this in the past. Desmond Bain as your second running mate. Or Jaron Jackson Jr. as your second running mate. Whoever you deem is the better of the two. Whoever your second man is on that team, they're not good enough to get you anywhere. John Morant, as great and as polarizing as he is, and as much as he makes this team turn around and do a complete 180 in their ability to produce and score, they are not enough, as we well were able to see during the whole 25-game stretch that John Morant was out for the season because of he had been suspended, because of what he did last year with the guns and everything. Off-court issues kept him off the floor. And without him, what did we see? We saw this team take an absolute nosedive. Oh, people want to say, oh, but Dylan Brooks is not on there. Look at what he's doing on the Houston Rockets. If Dylan Brooks is on this squad, even with the come up in production that he's been having this year, which while I don't like him, I can't deny it, it still wouldn't have been enough. They still would have been in the same position. Because this team cannot execute without John Morant being at the head of the table, running the show, making things go. And they don't have a legitimate, dominant second star. Desmond Bain is not that guy. I've been saying this. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not that guy. If you want to keep Jaron Jackson Jr., I'm all for it because of defensive ability. But if you can trade Desmond Bain to get some more or to get a legitimate star with Desmond Bain and a couple pieces, maybe some draft picks as well, to get a legitimate star to compare with John Morant, now we can start talking about, okay, this team can maybe go somewhere. But Desmond Bain being your secondary offensive running mate isn't going to cut it anywhere because they are not built to win. They're not built to win a title. They're not built to compete with the best of the best. They're just not. They're just not. They can't do it with the way that this roster is currently constructed. We're getting all excited because, oh, man, this team looks completely different. Oh, man, uh, this team looks phenomenal. Oh, man, look at what Josh's doing, turning this team around, turning this organization around. It means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Because the reality is this organization can't win how they're currently constructed. They can't do it. They don't have enough pieces. They don't have enough star power. To make John Moritz, again, complimenting star ability. Not even complimenting, excuse me, leading star ability. And his ability to make that offense and the entire team revolve and run completely differently. Which is a credit to him and his star power. It's legit.
one of the best point guards and players in the league. Absolutely. His excitement goes beyond just the highlight reels. It's the actual impact impact on the floor. It's insane. But the fact that he's a running mate, Desmond Bank, Jaron Jackson Jr., and other pieces around him that, while they're respectable, they can't carry the load like, like necessary. To make something out of this star that you have in Javon. You might have to trade him. And so to trade in Desmond Bank. Look to trade Desmond Bank. If I was running that front office. Because at this point in time, this roster, it just can't cut it. It's going to be consistently excitement with first and second round exits. That's what this team's going to be. Because as much as they are, are exciting to watch, and as much as they are a dynamic team, if you have, again, I'm harping on Desmond Bain because he is the main catalyst. If it was the same roster, but it wasn't Desmond Bain as the running mate, and he had a different number two guy running with him, now we're talking about this team in a completely different light. But we know that this league is a two-star league. And because it's a two-star league, we also know that this team, if you don't have the necessary two stars, you better have a great supporting cast all around. And right now, they don't have the necessary two stars, nor do they have the supporting cast that can drive this ship, that can pull their weight all around. And I guarantee, watch what happens this season. We're going to see the Memphis Grizzlies go on, I say go on a tear, but all of a sudden gain momentum, get better and better and better. People are going to talk about them. Oh man, they, this could be a dark horse in the West. All of a sudden, they're making a lot of noise and then they get knocked out and all that hype gets to up. Well, now nah, they were never really going to do anything. They were never really going to make any noise. It was all just, eh, they just came up short. No, it's not that they came up short. It's the fact that they legitimately weren't built and aren't built to get to a real position to where they're threatening the best of the best consistently. When it comes to playoff races, when it comes to crunch time, when it comes to the end result of winning a championship, they're not there. And it's the sad truth about it. Because with John Morant, as much as, as, much as he turns this team around, presently constructed, they're going to be stuck in a rut. An exciting, good team. That is just that good. They don't, they don't evolve into great up until after they make a change and get a legitimate great secondary star. This isn't disrespect to Desmond Bain. It's just the fact that what he brings to the table isn't what they need to take them over the hump. It's, it's not. You need more than somebody who is just a 20-something per game score. Yeah, he's a knockdown three-point shooter, no doubt about it. But that's not enough. You need somebody who can also play perimeter defense very well. Be a leader. Not just a, a running mate. Can take over games on his own. More than just once in a blue moon. And has a great effect on the game by himself. And that's not Desmond Bank. At least from what I've seen. It's not Desmond Bank. And... I mentioned that there was a third thing. And the third thing was Jaws availability. 
It's also going to be contingent on whether or not this team actually is going to continue to keep on elevating or if they falter outright. And no, it's not because, oh, John Moran is some thug, is some hoodlum. No, we're not doing that. Not on here. We ain't doing that. But what we are going to do is say that now there is a real concern that needs to at least be eyed on as to the life that we're going to see John Moran live once with all of this now behind him. Out, well, now that this is done, suspension's done, punishment by the NBA, all this gun drama, this, that, and the third. All that's done. Now that he's been through this, what's going to happen? Hopefully we see him just acting better. And I say that not because we're trying to do the whole, oh, you just, you, 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 can't, you can't let a black man just be himself. What's wrong with it? What, 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 what you trying to do? The world's wrong with you. No. What we're saying is there is a responsibility that has to take place. We've known about this in the NBA's policy on guns, the image that they want their players to project. All of this stuff, coupled with the fact that that's also, that's not like, this isn't like Allen Iverson when he was cut from that cloth. More from the streets and embodying what they call the quote-unquote hood culture. Cornrows, tattoos, and otherwise that made a bunch of folks scared for no good reason. But was seen as a bad image on the NBA. But when in actuality, it was just literally AI coming from the culture. Plain and simple. One of the biggest cultural impacts that the NBA has ever seen in the history of the sport has been from AI. Because it was authentic and it was him. But it wasn't something that was detrimental. It was just, hey, I came from this. This is what I do. It was agreed by the NBA without a handle. When in with a, with John Morant, it's not the same thing. Because it wasn't that he came from that type of life. He came from that type of upbringing. No. Clearly, he's living a life that wasn't or trying to project a lifestyle that wasn't nowhere near what he actually is and how he actually operates. Coupled with the fact, knowing exactly what the NBA qualifies as appropriate for their players to do and project off outside of the parameters of the league, you had to know that this, this was just a no-no. This was, it's inexcusable. This is inexcusable. Because this isn't a situation where we're just trying to hold the black man down. No. This isn't that at all. You're conducting yourself ab- abject to exactly what the NBA has put clear as day inside their parameters as to what they allow players to do and project and operate in within themselves. You, you just can't do it. Flaunting guns, showing gang-affiliated culture, and essentially doing a... a Showing a lifestyle that not only is detrimental to the league, but also is detrimental to yourself. They're not going to allow that. Not when they're investing hundreds of millions of millions of dollars into you. One of the people that, that the league wants to use as the face of this sport for the foreseeable future. 
That's what John Morant's position is at this point in time. And his actions are directly opposed to what is allowed by the league. It's not something hard. People are trying to make this something that it's not. It's not a racial discrimination type type setting. It is not a you just discriminate just because, you know, we're making white folks scarce. No, it's not that. You ain't you holding the gun. You ain't got no business holding the gun. You don't tell you ain't got no business doing. You are holding and conducting yourself in a way that you have no business conducting yourself in any way, shape, or form. Literally going back to the mud when you're trying to get out of it. That's why everybody was saying, yo, this is just, this is ridiculous. Why? That's the question. Why is the question? Why would you, why are you acting like this? Knowing exactly what you bring to the table. Knowing exactly the position that you were set up in. Knowing exactly where you are. And how you are so far ahead of the game that many people would kill to be it. And you, you doing stuff like this to jeopardize it? Not even stuff that we can see as, oh, it's just, eh. You know, the NBA is overreacting. Like we've seen with other leagues like the MLB and the NFL with taunting and how they've been overly egregious with their players. Absolutely. That's not this. That's not this. It's just idiotic. It was dumb. It was dumb then, it's dumb now. If it happens again, it's still dumb. It's not about if John Rich being held down. It's the fact that he is putting himself in a position to hold himself down and ruin everything he's got going for him. You got to remember, it's backtrack. Anybody talk to him about this? Josh said it was okay. Fine, fine. I'll change. Directly to Adam Silver's face. Went around not even a week, a couple weeks later. Exact same problem again. Right after saying to Adam Silver, yeah, this ain't going to be a problem. No more. That's not, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. And now with John Morant in this position, suffering a suspension, coming off and now back on track to be, again, leading this Grizzlies team, hopefully to start them. At least in a playoff picture with how bad they've been at the start of the year. With all this now in front of him and all of that now in the past, are we going to see John Morant conduct himself accordingly or are we going to see this again riled up? Because now he is on a short lease. It's just a fact. NBA is keeping a close eye on him now. The league, the entire league is keeping a close eye on him. If he does something like pulling out guns, flaunting them everywhere, and doing all of this that he know he got in trouble for last time. There's not going to be any excuse to him. We could say a year-long suspension. Who knows? As, as I've said before, the, the punishment fits the crime. And if it continues to repeat, the punishment gets escalated. Plain and simple. We want to see John Morant succeed. We want to see John Morant thrive. We want to see him play all 82 games. Without injury or any other consequence. However... We have to say that if he has not learned, matured, and understood the position that he's in and exactly how much scrutiny right now he's under, he can't afford to do something as egregious as that. 
and has opted to now change his circle of friends, change his circle of confidants, and put himself in an all-around better environment outside of basketball. If he's done that, we're good to go. But if he hasn't, we can see this again repeat, and I don't want to be on this side of the camera talking about we are back at square one when it comes to John Morant. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that at all. And finally, to talk about what this show, talking about Joel Embiid and his absolute domination that he's been putting up on the entire league for the first half of this season. Averaging 35 points a game, most since by a center since Shaquille O'Neal. Having putting his team as one of the put in the Sixers as one of the best offensive teams in the entire league. Elevating his own offensive game to kingdom come. All this without another secondary dominant big name star. Again, respect to Tyrese Maxey averaging 25, 26 points a game this season. He's been playing phenomenal, no doubt about it. But in terms of a, oh my goodness, star name second running mate, like a, a Dame or Giannis, a Tatum and Jalen Brown, a LeBron and AD. Something along those ilks and after having James Harden and Ben Simmons both cash out. Jimmy Butler forced out, which I hate because I would have loved to see them stay together. All of that now, and it's just him. And for the most part, in terms of big name star, solely him dominating the game. Just a sight to behold. We thought they were going to crash and burn once James Harden also left. But now, they've only elevated themselves. Only elevated and made themselves better. One of the best teams in the East. And Joel Embiid right now can be seen as probably leading favorite for MVP. Last year, I don't think he deserved it. But, but if you felt he should have won it last year, no problem. But if he had played this year, last year, then yeah, I wouldn't have had no problem with it. This Joel Embiid is a nightmare. This Joel Embiid is something special. This Joel Embiid is something I would tune in every night to see. Still do. I want to see him more. This Joel Embiid is dominant. Hopefully we don't see any injuries, but this man by himself has elevated and stepped his game up immensely. And made himself the leading MVP candidate for the entire NBA. There's an argument you can make that is he the best player in the world right now? You can really make the argument that he might be the best player in the world at this point in time. At least for this stretch. He's played like the best player in the world. You can argue that. Legitimately. Coming into the season, it was Nikola Jokic. As the season went on, it was still Nikola Jokic. But then Nikola started petering off a little. Performance wasn't going good, and Joel Embiid was elevating his game more and more and more up until what we see right now. Team's playing great. He's playing absolutely dominant. Both sides of the floor playing phenomenal. And is leading this squad to be to being a real threat in the East. Coming up as, as a team that we didn't think was going to have a shot at getting to a title or getting out of the East into now, oh man, hold on, wait a minute. Maybe the Celtics and Bucks aren't just a two-way race for a shot at getting to the finals. Maybe we should actually be putting the Sixers in that conversation with the way that they've been playing. And they have been playing up until that, up to that caliber. This team is something 
everybody should look out for. And Joel Embiid is elevating his game more and more and more to an unforeseen level of dominance that we've seen from him specifically. Look, making this team look better without Ben Simmons or James Harden. With just him running the show. Looking utterly phenomenal. Something insane to watch. Inside the arc, dominant. Post-game, refined and phenomenal. Shooting from the outside. Again, defensively, he's been playing great. We love it. We love it. We love it. And we want to see more of it when it comes to Joel Embiid. We want to see this be consistent. We want to see this be something substantial. And hopefully it does. But this has muddied the waters in terms of the East as to now who should really be seen as the best of the best. Because now the Sixers have thrown a wrench in the system and have played above expectations and are looking mighty dominant. Led by Joel Embiid, who right now, my pick would be for MVP at this at this current point in time. I can't, I, it's insane. And I can't wait to see it. It's going to be something phenomenal to vote. And we're going to watch more of it because we are seeing something special coming out of Philadelphia. But with that being said, this has been an episode of The Welch Report with me, your host, Jean-Luc Welch. Again, leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel, and share the show with everybody that you know so we can build up this empire together. Yes, sir, that is right. Also, be sure to rate us five stars on every podcasting app, Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it, get on it, rate us and share us so we can build up this channel all around the globe, absolutely. We got people from China, Australia, England, everybody listening to the show from all parts of the globe, so please join in, keep on sharing the popularity, but recommend me to other shows, yeah, maybe I'll show up on their podcast as well, who knows, I'll be starting special guests around the world. All of that will be happening if you keep on supporting. So again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And we will see you all next time. Peace and love. We are out of here.